Coming to you entirely pre-recorded and entirely on my own here at the Garage of Solitude in Whitestone, Queens. I'm Mario Francisco Robles, and this is episode 177 of the Fanboy Podcast. How's everybody doing out there? Yes, I am going to be flying solo for today's episode and for the foreseeable future, because you see, when this episode comes out on Friday, March 3rd, that will be one day before Brett Miro becomes a daddy. That's right. Brett and Jesse will be having their baby on March the 4th. That is the new plan. The baby's arriving on Saturday, so clearly he's going to be a little busy. He's going to be a little uh, uh, indisposed for a little while. So I'm going to hold down the fort solo here for a while, which is fine. I kind of did the show by myself for like the first 140 episodes or so. And uh, see, I'm adding these wonderful sound effects. Did you hear the car starting up outside of my literal garage? I guess my neighbors are going for a ride at this late hour of the night. But look, okay, I have not given you all the show in about a month. And rather than bore you with uh, excuses and explanations, I decided I'm just going to go ahead and dive right into a show. You deserve a show. If you've been a long-time subscriber or a new-time subscriber, if you just found if you just found me over on the Twitter, since I have been dedicating a lot more time and effort to the Superman on Film Twitter account, if you're one of the new people who's found me of late uh thanks for joining in on this uh on the fanboy podcast and if you're a long time watcher listener viewer whatever you want to call yourself supporter of any kind uh thanks for your patience as i occasionally have to kind of fly off the grid for a little while every so often but you know what can't complain too much right i don't have ads on the show this is really just a labor of love i don't get to do this there's no grand agenda here this show exists because i love to talk about this stuff and it seems like some of you like to hear me go at it and now i've got brett to do that with so the whole thing is just a labor of love for the two of us but every once in a while uh you know a a a, there will be a lapse in shows i will try i will endeavor to be better about warning you when it looks like we're going to need to take a little uh, time away for some reason or another. But for now, like I said, I'm going to dive right into the show. Not too much of a preamble today. I want to dive right into our Superman on film update for March 3rd, 2023. So since the last show, there's been plenty to discuss. Uh, James Gunn continues to say all the right things. For now, he's strictly just the writer of Superman Legacy. We're still, and I'm going to get into the directing situation in just a little bit. But as of now, James Gunn, the writer and co head of DC Studios, uh, continues to just say all the right things whenever given the opportunity in an interview or in a Twitter exchange to just show the proper love and respect for Superman and talk about the kind of depiction we're going to be getting in Superman Legacy. He just, you know, so far he knows exactly what to say to have me going, all right, yes. We've got the right person for the job. Uh, But also, since he is rather uh, prolific and rather busy on the Twitter as of late with debunking rumors and shedding light on certain things, I'm going to catch you up on a few of the key things that he's revealed via social media over the last couple of weeks. Things that I think, if you're uh, looking forward to Superman Legacy, things that I think you should uh, know about. 
So first of all, how far is he into the script, right? Because we only found out in mid-December when he was giving Henry Cavill the sudden axing that he gave him. Uh, we found out in mid-December, we did, that James Gunn was writing a Superman reboot featuring a younger Superman than Henry Cavill would have had to have played. And short time after that, we found out that he had already been working on it for a while. So it wasn't like a thing he had just been asked to do as part of the co-head of DC Studios bit. No, he'd already been working on a script. So we didn't really know how far along into the process he was, but he recently asserted via the Twitter that he is indeed very far. You hear that? Very far. And that goes hand in hand with the fact that he revealed over on the Twitter about a week or two ago that he had actually been asked to do it a few months before this thing had been announced, that his project had been born before the Henry Cavill thing. He, he gave a timeline of about five or six months, I believe, and he gave that timeline in early February. So that means he was asked to write Superman Legacy somewhere in like July or August. And as you may recall, it was September when Dwayne Johnson and Henry Cavill and all of that campaigning happened to add Henry Cavill to the end of Black Adam, as well as try to greenlight a Man of Steel 2 sequel and all that kind of stuff. So that came the first week of September. But by that point, James Gunn had already been hired to write a reboot of Superman. So by the way, imagine his confusion. Imagine his flabbergastedness to be ha, have been asked to write this movie to agree to write this movie and then you start hearing that oh but henry cavill's also making the rounds shooting cameos for black adam and the flash and possibly aquaman i don't know how many things uh cavill got to shooting there in that first week of september when he flew to california to be inserted into several upcoming dc films but regardless he was, uh, you know, James Gunn was rightfully sort of blindsided by that because here he is writing an all new take on Superman, kind of restarting the mythology, giving a, you know, a, a reboot, a proper disconnected reboot that exists on its own of anything that has to do with Henry Cavill. And as he's starting work on that, Henry Cavill gets announced for some sort of pseudo return. All the while, He's been having conversations with Peter Safran and, of course, Mr. David Zaslav, the, the head of Warner Brothers Discovery, about the direction that DC should take, talking to him about the biggest story ever told, talking to him about how we should go about reinvigorating and reinventing the DC brand, all while trying to help, initially, help David Zaslav find the head for DC Studios before he ultimately took the job, as we know he did. So in terms of like the timelines here, it looks like he's been working on this script since the end of the summer, and he now claims to be very far into it. So, and remember, he did say once that casting does not begin on his movies until the script is complete. So if he's very far, that means that maybe we're not too far from casting. You know, he also mentioned uh, in, in a fan question and as part of a response to a fan i should say uh someone asked should we be should should we be expecting any casting details in these next six months 
And six months is an interesting bit of timing to be asking about, because when you ask about six months and you're in February, you know what that means? That means July. That means August. That means end of summer is within that six month time range. And what happens traditionally at the end of July? That's right. San Diego Comic-Con. So it's kind of got me wondering if we're going to get an epic DC Studios Hall H presentation where maybe he'll unveil some of the major castings right then, along with some of the, some of the directors for some of these upcoming projects. So the fact that the, the script is very far along could mean that casting is on the horizon. And the fact that he says we're going to get some casting announcements within the next six months. Uh, that tells me that maybe we're going to have ourselves an absolutely epic San Diego Comic-Con this year. So let's see. He also went into a bit of uh, rumor debunking. There was a little bit of rumor mill cleanup that James Gunn has had to do. For starters, this whole bit with Superman Legacy, the title Superman Legacy, has had people going down all these different theoretical rabbit holes. Okay, On the last episode of this show, I talked to you about how a lot of people were assuming Legacy had to do with him being dead. But I talked to you about how the fact that Legacy is not just dead, and it doesn't necessarily mean dead. It just means you're considering the impact you're having on the world around you. What is the legacy that you that, that you're building? What is it that you're going to do to leave your mark? And, uh, you know, just what mark are you leaving on the world? That is your legacy. And you don't have to be dead to be creating a legacy. Okay. So, yes, that was the rumor back then that maybe somehow his death was going to be factoring, especially because he keeps mentioning All-Star Superman, which we know is a story where Clark is dealing with his mortality. He thinks he's going to be dying because of something that happened early on in the story. So that was the theory. And I pointed out then that I don't think there's any chance we're dealing with a death situation in the first movie, unless he's really, unless he's trying to out Snyder Snyder. It's like, okay, oh yeah, you want to kill him off in the second movie? I'll kill him off in the first one. Take that Snyder. No, I don't think he's doing that. So uh, yeah, so no death, no death. But the other thing that people took away from Legacy was, well, maybe he's going to have a child, right? Because in the comics, the, 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 the super family has kind of expanded, just as the Bat family has become more of a prominent fixture in the Batman lore of late. You know, the idea of Superman and Lois having kids and, you know, Connor and all this stuff, and even in Superman and Lois embracing the idea of Superman the family man, super, Superman the father, some people wondered if maybe that's the real story or maybe Clark is going to be a little older and this is about his child, right? Well, uh, a couple of things got debunked in these last few weeks. First of all, James Gunn came right out and said, I never said anything about Clark Kent having a child because some fan had made that assumption and accused him of like, you know, if he's going to be older and have a kid, you could have brought Henry Cavill back, blah, 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 blah. And Gunn kindly responded, uh, I never said he has a kid. So that tells me there's no kid that we have to worry about here. And also a specification on the age, because 
And this actually came from the Hollywood Reporters, which goes to show you that even the the trades, even the most respected, the biggest publications in all of entertainment, they cannot be trusted right now because James Gunn and Peter Safran still seem to have all the key details under lock and key. So when the Hollywood Reporter came out and said, it, it looks like Clark Kent is going to be about 25 years old. Well, the polygraph came back and uh, the results, as it turns out, that's a lie. James Gunn said uh, over on the Twitter that, you know, people keep repeating this thing about 25, but I never said that. Okay. We just know that he's younger and that he's not in his 40s, but 25, that is some arbitrary number that somebody along the way cooked up and put out into the world that that's what they expect the Clark Kent and Superman legacy to be. But apparently the 25 thing is not anything that you should be attached to. In fact, it sounds like he might be a little bit older because that was something that came up over on the Twitter also because we have the rumors of a young Clark. And we also have the rumors of Batman, the Brave and the Bold. Well, it's not even a rumor at this point. But if he's adapting the Brave and the Bold, if that's going to be the Batman story that, that gets told in Chapter 1, that's a Batman story where he has a teenage child. That's a Batman story where he already has a fully grown-up Dick Grayson who's Nightwing. You know, that, that, that's, a, that's a phase where Batman's already well-established. In the brave and the bold he's nowhere near the beginning of his career so people started wondering well how old is batman going to be you know if he's got a teenage son and how young are they going to go with this son are they going to actually make it like in the comics where it's like he's a kid that kills people are they going to try to age it up a little bit but well you know that's where uh, the speculation started to go, that Batman is old and Clark is young and people started getting all bent out of shape about the fact that like, oh, so we're going to get an old Batman and we're going to get a young Clark. That's not cool. That's, you know, that's lame for some reason. And uh, Gunn went ahead and addressed that. When talking about the ages, he said, yeah, people are speculating about both ages all i ever said was superman was younger than in his 40s and batman might be a couple years older than superman all right so let's break that down a little bit let's break down that verbiage all i ever said was superman was younger than in his 40s and batman might be a couple of years older than superman so that tells me that, and, and, and when you couple that with the fact that 25 is apparently out the window, I think maybe we're looking for a Superman who's maybe closer to 30, you know, 30, 31, which kind of is a, a, a familiar storytelling uh, area to be finding our Clark Kent, you know, in Superman, the movie, uh, he, you know, he went to the Fortress of Solitude at roughly 18 and was there 12 years and he came out at age 30 to be superman i mean you know uh and i'm not sure how old he's supposed to be in man of steel but i think we determined at some point or other he's around 30 so it looks like once again we're, we're going to find clark who is at around 30 years old that's going to be you know the superman that we meet and again this is not an origin story so he's already been superman superman is out there he's already met most of the key characters in his mythology so remember we're, we're hitting the ground running with this story this is not the beginning of his career there is already an established superman 
in the world when this movie starts, which I kind of can't wait to see, by the way. Um, but if that's the case, right? If that's the case and he's like 30 or 31, honestly, you could have a Batman who's only about 35. And if you're going to, especially if you're going to go with like the deadly kid, Damian Wayne, if you're not going to adapt him upward and try to, you know, perhaps to try to make it a little more palatable, better than watching a teenager, you know, go at people with a katana, you know, you could see them maybe wanting to make him more like 18 or 19. But that's the thing. If you go with a kid, you know, there's already an established precedent for, for that. You know, the audiences. Are, have already shown they eat that stuff up. First of all, fans and audiences alike loved uh, X-23 and Logan, right? You know, Logan's daughter in that movie. Oh, sorry, uh, the five, six-year-old spoiler at this point. But his daughter in that movie, um, she kills a lot of people. And I don't even think she's 10 yet. or she, She's very young, and people loved her in that, right? Same thing with the kick-ass movies. I think about uh, Nicolas Cage's character, who I can't remember his name now. but It was a knockoff of Batman and uh, Hit Girl, played by Chloe Grace Moretz. And she was a legit, like, kid. So that's the thing. If you're going to go with, like, an actual kid, where this, this character is supposed to be 13 or 14 years old, a 35-year-old Bruce Wayne who is still a Bruce in his prime, not an old man Batman by any stretch. You could have a 35-year-old Bruce Wayne who shacked up with Talia al Ghul when he was 20 or 21 and training with the League of Shadows or something. You know, th there's any number of ways that you could make the timing work. But when you look at it that way, instead of 25 and mid-40s for Clark and Batman, if you look at it more like, early 30s mid 30s the gap doesn't seem that huge and in general i've always been kind of a fan of having batman be a little older be the one who's a little more hardened by life and cynical and older and and, and just kind of like set in his ways to kind of juxtapose against young idealistic optimistic clark kent so if there is indeed a few years gap between them, I'm all for it. And especially if it's really just a matter of like 31 to 35, then, you know, anyone getting worried about that uh, just needs to find some more things to do with their time. But, um, but yes, and just going back to some of the revelations that have come up of late, you know, he's, he, he clarified beyond any shadow of a doubt that Superman legacy was always its own thing. And I just want to reiterate that point once again, because there's been a lot of confusion about the timeline and when Henry Cavill was asked to come back and when James Gunn was asked to write his movie. And maybe he could have, you know, maybe he was asked to write a movie that incorporated Henry Cavill. And it's like, no, just to put that to bed for good and forever. Superman Legacy was a reboot that was that was requested of Gunn predating Henry Cavill's sudden return. And one thing about Henry Cavill's sudden return too, that I just want to hit on really quickly. And I, I talked about this on the Twitter, but for those of you who don't do the socials, um, look, the flash was always set to wipe Cavill out of the picture. Not just Cavill, a number of things. You know, the Flash was always going to reset the DC universe as we knew it. Long before James Gunn and Peter Safran were being considered to lead something called DC Studios, 
long before the, the this whole chapter one and the, this whole new slate was cooked up, long before any of this, when this movie was first kind of the, 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 the this Flash movie and its current you know form has existed since like mid 2019. Okay, it's been like three and a half years where we we have a Flash movie being directed by Andy Muschietti and Christina Hudson. Okay, and written by Christina Hudson, and for most of those three and a half years, there was zero Henry Cavill going to be factored into that because the whole idea was and has and as has been revealed ad nauseum by now, the studio did not want to move forward with Henry Cavill as Superman. They were done. They were washing their hands of him. They were moving on. They had greenlit the J.J. Abrams, Ta-Nehisi Coates, Superman standalone story. They were looking at the uh, Michael B. Jordan, Val Zod story for Superman on HBO Max. You know, they, they were open to all kinds of new directions for Superman and Henry Henry Cavill simply was not one of the things that they were looking to do. So for most of the three and a half years that this movie has been in production, no Henry Cavill ever again is the plan, right? Then for that brief window from early September, maybe there'd been negotiations a little, let's give Johnson a month to beat the drum, to try to get Cavill in. Let's say in August is when he made that real big push. Because remember, Black Adam had gotten delayed. I think we're supposed to come out at the end of July. And suddenly they had extra time on their hands and there had been reshoots. And Johnson was trying to figure out what can he do to make this Black Adam movie click? Get it across the finish line and make it a success after all these years of development time that he put into it. And he had the big bright idea, like, let's let's finally just push hardcore for Henry Cavill to come back. Walter Hamada is basically out of power. David Zaslav is looking for the new DC boss. He's got Pamela Abdi and 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 Mike. Is it Michael DeLuca? I think it's Michael DeLuca as the temporary stewards of DC because they're overseeing Warner Brothers Pictures in general. So let me go in there and kind of force my agenda aggressively. Let me throw my weight around as one of the few bona fide movie stars that exists anymore. And so for a period of maybe, maybe seven to 10 weeks out of the three and a half years for about seven to 10 weeks, they found a way to factor Henry Cavill back in. Okay. From whatever those discussions were in August to filming the cameos in September and giving him what, like a half a mil to do the cameos. To then the movie Black Adam coming out on October 17th, followed by, you know, Henry doing the interviews and all the other stuff and the big press releases that he's back and yada yada and so on and so forth. That all lasted for about seven to ten weeks where they briefly flirted with Henry Cavill returning. And then Black Adam, which is the thing that he was set to be a part of in a major way because mind you man of steel 2 was taking pitches but dwayne johnson had black adam hit 
the 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 goal the very next thing was to now continue with black adam 2 in a story that features superman and features the justice society and features all this stuff the world building the seeds that he had planted in black adam dwayne johnson was ready to go full steam ahead with whatever that was and it was going to involve henry cavill's superman so that is the world that henry cavill was tied to and then black adam flopped right so now the studio is like well then if we're not going to continue with the black adam stuff we're not really continuing with Henry Cavill. You know, James Gunn comes in. I was writing a reboot anyway. And unfortunately, our boy Henry got the short end of the stick here. You know, he 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 got the signal from the studio to go out and announce his return. And uh, then he got all this egg on his face when he had to announce in December in no uncertain terms. No, he is not Superman anymore. And I know that there's a lot of Superman fans out there who are rightfully still hurting about that and still trying to, you know, connect conspiracy theories and aim a lot of rage at James Gunn and Peter Safran for all this. And it's just, you know, just to put it into perspective for you one last time, numerically speaking, three and a half years, the Flash was wiping away Henry Cavill's Superman. For seven to ten weeks, they considered it. And then they just went back to the original plan of letting The Flash be the movie that just resets things and introducing a Superman legacy that is its own thing and the start of a whole new continuity, the beginning of the DCU. Okay, just wanted to break that down for you because there are people, you know, you, you see these rumors floating around, you know, people get upset that they hear that Henry shot a cameo for The Flash. And they're like, I want to see that. How could you cut that? Why would you do that? And it's like, listen, anything Henry shot for The Flash, you have to think about this. Anything Henry shot for The Flash wasn't just, here's a cool scene featuring my Superman. No, it's a tease of things to come. Just like in Black Adam, he showed up at the end saying, we have to talk. All right. It's foreshadowing where we're going next with the story. So whatever was going to whatever they had Henry doing in the flash, it was to set up a continuation of Henry Cavill's Superman. And as soon as you've decided you're not going to be continuing Henry Cavill's Superman, that's why you have to cut that out of the flash, you know? Um, and honestly, there's a lot of things getting cut out of certain DC movies that I want to talk about a little bit because, you know, even with Aquaman, you know, I've heard that the, the there have been changes, you know, the, the whole Batman cameo that we've discussed here on this show, where at some point it was going to be Ben Affleck, then at some point it was going to be Michael Keaton, and then they tested it and it got confusing, and then they went back to the other one. You know, th there was all kinds of stuff that, that that's kind of been retooled with Aquaman. And there's a, even a bunch of changes that have been made to the film that were shot in like in the, the fall of last year. So we're talking only about three or four months ago. They were still kind of retooling and changing Aquaman. And what I think is going on with all of these DC releases this year, aside from the changes being made to the Flash's post credit scene, apparently, aside from the changes being made to Aquaman, Aside from who knows what maybe has been cut or altered from Shazam Fury of the Gods, I think what they're doing right now is 
it's a little bit of house cleaning. It's a little bit of maintenance. They are pruning these movies of references of where things would go next. Because I don't think there is a next for any of these. I don't think Shazam is getting a three, no matter how many kind things Zachary Levy says about James Gunn. I don't think, I mean, I don't know. We're going to see. James Gunn loves The Flash. Maybe he's going to find a way to make that work and continue with Ezra Miller's Flash some, somehow, some way, or Michael Keaton's Batman somehow, some way. But I tend to doubt it. And especially with Aquaman, this stuff where we keep hearing these whispers of Jason Momoa switching characters and going to Lobo, going and playing somebody different now in the DCU. I really think that the DCEU, as we know it, will be perishing and breathing its final gasps of oxygen when Aquaman, uh, the Lost Kingdom, comes out at the end of this year. I think this is the end of the road for the previous continuity. And if that's the case, if that is the decision that has been made by the heads of DC Studio, then you have to go to each of those movies and trim out anything that's being set up for sequels. Because now you don't want to get people excited for things that ain't coming. You want to try to make these stories be kind of self-enclosed make them end their particular arcs. This concludes the story and now we can move on from here. So just to keep that in mind, because even in the flash, you know, apparently there were, there was a post-credit scene. See, it's not just Henry. They got cut. Apparently there was a post-credit scene that was also going to include Sasha Kali, Supergirl or Sasha Kaye. I'm not sure how she says it. And Michael Keaton's Batman. And that has been changed. That has been cut. That has been altered in some way. And people are like, why? Why would you do that? And it's like, well, they were probably trying to set up a Supergirl movie. And whatever Keaton was saying or doing was setting up that Batgirl movie or whatever it is he was going to do next. Whatever sort of, you know, bastardization of Batman Beyond they were looking to do originally after The Flash. So. If all of that is now off the table, if we're treating the Flash as a reset and we're treating Aquaman as the unlikely, unexpected final chapter of the DCEU, uh, you have to go through each of these movies with a fine tooth comb and cut out anything that is setting up parts three or two or anything for that matter. So just wanted to kind of touch on all of that. And uh, but bringing it back now to uh, to Superman Legacy, when it comes to who's directing this thing, right? It's been a month since the last episode. When are we gonna find out who's directing it? Because you know what, we still don't know as of now. As of March third, two thousand and twenty-three, we do not know who's directing Superman Legacy. And on the last episode of this show. I had shared with you a rumor I wanted you to just take with a grain of salt about who could be directing it. And I had mentioned that I heard Ben Affleck himself was circling the project. And I was kind of thrown off by that, excited by it, but kind of thrown to hear that because I didn't really think he would want to go quite that, you know, just I, I Ben Affleck and Superman to me doesn't seem like the greatest fit, but 
I heard it was happening. I shared it with you as a possibility. But now, kind of here's the latest. Okay, here's the latest when it comes to the DCU and the directing situation, as it's been explained to me by some people. Okay, so again, this is more, you know, th this is rumor, this is innuendo, this is just stuff I hear, and you could, you know, you could take it with a grain of salt, you could let it go in one ear and out the other, you could store it and wait until the real story comes out a few years from now when we find out what went into all these discussions to launch the DCU, you know, we'll find out one day, one way or another. But the DCU director stuff that I've been hearing is that, James Gunn is actually rather keen to just write Superman Legacy. And that's why, by the way, they didn't just announce him as a director immediately. Because, you know, James Gunn's got a lot of clout now. He's a big name. And when he announced this project, he could have very well said, I'm making a new Superman movie. And in any time throughout all this, through the initial, you know, through, through the official announcement that happened on January 31st, throughout any of these interactions he's had with fans, he could have just put it out there. Yes, I am directing Superman Legacy. That would probably garner all kinds of great publicity and headlines. He could do that. It's right there for the taking. And yet it seems like he's been hesitant to just outright say he's going to do it. And even Peter Safran had said when he's when they were speaking to journalists on January the 30th that, you know, and we hope he does it like he's still trying to convince Gunn to do it. And uh, the story behind that, according to what I've heard, is that Gunn is more than happy to write the script and he wants to hand it off to someone like a Ben Affleck or maybe even specifically Ben Affleck. But. The studio itself, it's hard to say the studio because the studio is Gunn and is Saffron. They are the heads of studio. But apparently Saffron and David Zaslev have been major advocates trying to get him to just be the guy. Like, Listen, you're already charting the creative course for all this. You're the one who had the idea for how to tackle this Superman story and how to make him you know, connect with audiences today. We want you to be the one who sort of sets the tone, launches this thing with the first movie and kind of gives everyone else the blueprint for what the DCU is going to be. So they've been kind of rallying behind Gunn being the man who helms it himself while he apparently, again, rumors, but he apparently would rather write legacy but direct the authority i hear that's the uh, of the initial projects that are coming out the first couple of years of the dcu i hear gun is really rather keen for his idea with the authority which i think he's also writing by the way so people have to get used to the fact that there's going to be a fair amount of written by james guns in the this dcu phase one the chapter one that we're going to be getting but yes i hear he would, he, he would really love to direct the authority and delegate Superman legacy to someone else, but it's looking more and more like he's resigning himself to, okay, I'm just, I'm going to be the guy. I'm going to do it. You know, so the latest that I've been hearing is that he's going to end up in the director's chair for Superman legacy. When it comes to Affleck, look, there are rumors that just hit the web this week 
about Ben Affleck directing The Brave and The Bold. And uh, I was asked to touch on that uh, over on the Twitter earlier today. And um, yeah, I'm going to let Jonathan Brady, uh, Jonathan Brady's input kind of seep through me here. Jonathan used to write for me at Revenge of the Fans and his Batman instincts are, are pretty spot on. I mean, he was predicting Robert Pattinson for Matt Reeves, the Batman, long before he showed up on any short lists. So Jonathan Brady seems to have a good gut feeling when it comes to Batman. So I tend to trust him. But he was saying that really nobody should want Ben Affleck to do the brave and the bold. That really, you know, his lane has always kind of been the crime thriller. And the brave and the bold is not like a gritty crime thriller Batman world. That the Morrison run that they are adapting really kind of like swings all over the place you know there there's horror there's humor there's detective noir there's oh you know kind of cheeky homages to different eras of batman you know it's ben affleck hasn't quite shown that that's his niche quite just yet and i can't i i can't picture ben affleck re-entering the world of comic book movies at a time when he really doesn't have to He's really done everything he needs to say or do in the comic book space. He And he's made his money. Homeboy's doing just fine. I do not see him dipping his toe back into the major blockbuster tentpole motion picture comic book movie again to do something he's never really done before. You know, I see him coming in to tell a story that means something to him and that his filmmaking sensibilities seem right for. And as for what I think that could be, I don't think it's the brave and the bold. And I know that the rumor is an easy one to conjure up. Gee, I wonder why. Because he played Batman. Of course, he played Batman. So, of course, and he's a director. So why not have him direct the new Batman? I get it. I understand the logic, but I just don't see it. I just personally, the rumor doesn't pass my personal smell test for the same reason where I wasn't, I, I wasn't really feeling him directing Superman legacy. You know, I shared the rumor, but I deep down, I wasn't too enthusiastic about that. What I could see him doing as I look at the first projects that were announced uh, and mind you, I can't really comment on like the authority because I don't know anything about the authority i've read a little bit on like wikipedia you know but i've never read any of the books i've never seen i don't know if they've shown up in any of the animated dc stuff yet i really to me the authority is a complete mystery so i've heard people say it would be cool to see him do that because it's a little more underground and a little this a little that i don't know but i i would say that's a possibility but for me for me if I'm choosing where to apply Ben Affleck's talents as a director, and this might be a tough sell because it's not just one thing. It's not just a movie. It's a series. But I'm talking about lanterns. Because if you recall, James Gunn already kind of made this interesting comparison with lanterns to being almost like a detective story. And he compared it to true detective. 
and he talked about the dynamics between the you know Hal Jordan, John Stewart, and how they stumble upon this mystery, and it's scary, and it has huge ramifications on the whole universe. But it's really kind of an intimate story about these two lanterns. And I don't know, call me crazy, but I think that would be an amazing place to apply Ben Affleck's talent. You know, a a, a prestigious limited run series on HBO Max, because that is what it's going to be, right? It's going to be a big budget HBO Max series from the creative minds that gave us Watchmen and Doom Patrol. So this thing's already got prestige. It's going to have money. It's going to have a budget. And it's going to be important because apparently Lanterns is the thing that kind of pivots the story. They are going to be the one who I think who like discovers the final clue or the whatever it is of the big threat that is the culmination of chapter one. So Lanterns to me would be my ideal place to slot Ben Affleck. And mind you, and he hasn't done TV yet. So he might want that challenge. You know, he might be down for doing six to eight episodes of this really awesome science fiction detective story, Lanterns, you know? So do I think he's doing the brave and the bold? No. But you know who I heard is like rallying for it, pushing for it, wants it real bad? I hear that the Flash director, Andy Muschietti, really seems to want in on the brave and the bold. That's just what I'm hearing. Little birds are chirping. And I hear that that's the one where he's like, Mr. Gunn, that's the one. If you're going to keep me around, put me on that. And he is going to keep him around, by the way. Because shortly after that, the Flash trailer hit, the one that came out during the Super Bowl, which I'm going to talk about in a few seconds here. Um, shortly after that trailer came out, he was, he was like told by a fan or asked by, no, I think told by a fan, like you have to keep Andy Muschietti as a filmmaker for the DCU. And James Gunn just wrote back. Okay. <laughs> like, it was just like, I'm going to, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, it was, you know, you know, it was very clear and very direct. Okay. I will then. So. Yes, Andy Muschietti looks like he's staying within the house, okay? And we already know that the writer of The Flash, Christina Hodson, is staying in the house. So in terms of carryover creatives, I could see, and I don't think Hodson would write Brave and the Bold, but I could see Andy Muschietti switching over from The Flash over to that. So that's just kind of my, you know, it, it's a combination of what I could see happening and what I've heard is kind of the behind the scenes sort of vibe right there at DC right now when it comes to who's directing what. So just to recap, it looks like Gunn will land on Legacy. It looks like Affleck will land on something else, likely The Authority or hopefully Lanterns, and that Andy Muschietti seems to be pushing for the brave and the bold. So... Just wanted to put all that out there. And uh, by the way, before I leave the Superman realm of things, James Gunn, if you're watching this show, which I know you're not, but if you're watching this show as you're writing your Superman story, can you do me a favor? Can you let Jonathan live? This is going to be something I campaign for pretty much from now until we get some real details on Superman legacy. I want a Jonathan Kent that lives can that please happen 
can it? Because I've long said that it's it's upsetting to me that certain people seem to treat Jonathan Kent like he's the same as Uncle Ben in the Spider-Man story. You know, in every key Spider-Man story, Uncle Ben has to die for Peter Parker to have his big ooh-la-la moment that I'm going to become Spider-Man now. But in the Superman mythology, it is not a prerequisite. Jonathan does not have to die. And meanwhile, in the two different Superman series we've gotten on the big screen so far, he died. They've gone to that well twice already. Let's just avoid it this time. Can I please have a Jonathan Kent that Clark can go back and speak to at the farm? Both his parents, by the way, Jonathan and Martha. I want a Clark who is able to return to Smallville and speak to Ma and Pa. So I will die on the hill campaigning for can Jonathan Kent please live? Please. And in general, I want this movie to do lots of things differently than the previous two did. Just for the sake of like, if you're going to reboot, give me something drastically different. Because, you know, that that's one of the things too that like, as the years wear on with like Man of Steel, you know, and mind you, I came, you know, I ultimately came around to like really, really enjoy that movie. You know, I, I, I really, I, I have a soft spot for it now. And I, I talked about it on this show, how First Flight finally made me cry a couple of years ago. And, you know, it just, it finally happened to where I could see Man of Steel for being a pretty special Superman movie. But, but it did itself no favors when it came to opening itself up to comparisons to the Richard Donner film and to the Christopher Reeve series, because a, they didn't have to have Jonathan die well, that's a minor one, but B, and this is a big one. They didn't have to open with virtually a paraphrase of the same exact sequence, setting up Zod as the main villain. Like the start of Man of Steel, for as gorgeous as it is, I love the Krypton there, and I will. That's a hill I'll die on. Also, that I wish we that that Krypton series on Sci-Fi had worked out, and we could have gotten more of like an expansion of just that Krypton. I love that Krypton, but the actual bullet points of that opening—it's step by step, a, a a a literal adaptation of what we saw in the Donner films. All right. We have the news of the, the impending demise of Krypton. We have the, the, the trials for Zod, who apparently has committed you know sedition and done some terrible things. We have him being banished to the Phantom Zone, but not before vowing revenge on, on, on Jor-El and his heirs. We have the big emotional speech with Jor-El and, and, and Lara to the baby or in where Laura doesn't seem to want to let go of the baby, but Jorel has to convince her. Like, this is all the same. I could be talking about either movie right now. It's, it's a little crazy to me. Okay. Both movies open with the same identical structure for how we get to earth. Right. And then we go into Jonathan dying and we go to, Zod being the main boss fight at the end. And mind you, Superman 1 and 2, remember the first one didn't have a boss fight. It just had the earthquake thing. 
because one and two were being shot as one long story. So really the culmination of Superman one and two had Richard Donner been able to complete his two part opus, which he was shooting simultaneously. But the, 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 the real conclusion of that initial opus was we were going to start on Krypton and end with, you know, the, the, the big fight in Metropolis before they end up back at the Fortress of Solitude. But once again, Man of Steel just truncated that. It did it all in one movie. Rather than having the big earthquake sequence in the middle of all that, we just had Zod and company arriving on Earth way sooner. But Zod is another big issue there because Zod was not an A-list villain for in the Superman mythology. Zod, Richard Donner made him famous, okay? Prior to 1978, Zod was in the rogues gallery for sure, and there had been several different adaptations of him, but there were still many different ways you could go. Just look at any number of other Superman origin stories that have nothing to do with Zod, and you'll see that Zod did not have to be our first villain in this brand new DCEU, and yet he was. So when people talk about like, Oh, why are they always comparing Man of Steel to Superman the movie? And why can't people just let go of the Donner films and the Reeve films and blah, blah, blah? Like, well, listen, the first movie did, went out of its way to remind everyone of those movies. So, of course, they're going to be compared. And that's why with Superman Legacy, I want different. I want different. I want different creative choices. I, at each different fork in the road, I want them to go a different way. You know, I, I want a different first villain. I want a different way to handle his relationship with his parents on Earth. I want a different way we handle his relationship with his parents from Krypton. I want, yeah, I just, I hope we see some creative choices that are drastically different from what we've seen before. Because so far on the big screen, we've basically seen two versions of the same story play out in the first movie. You know, in, in the in the beginning of Superman here, um, so yes, let's uh, let's go new and let's let Jonathan live. Let Jonathan live, please. Um, okay, I'm just looking at my topics here. I think I I maxed out our Superman on film update. Yeah, that was about a 45 minute Superman on film update. So how's that? How's that for you? I kept you waiting a month, but there it is. So now we're going to switch over to the Flash, okay? Because the, the Super Bowl has happened since we last spoke. And the world finally got its first real look at the Flash. And it's interesting too, by the way, right? Because the movie's been in production for so long, right? And under Muschietti and Hudson, like I said before, three and a half years. It's had a release date for a long time. And I didn't even realize until right before the Super Bowl, that this was actually going to be the first trailer, not the new trailer, the first trailer for this movie, which is kind of crazy. You know, it happened in February. The movie comes out four months later in June, and this was the first trailer. Because, yes, there had been the clips, there had been the thing that we've all seen, right? Us, us hardcore nerds, us fanboys all know the other thing that was released. But if you'll recall, that other thing wasn't a trailer. It didn't play in theaters in front of other movies. Shortened versions of it didn't air as TV spots. That was just a thing for the fans from DC Fandom. 
Okay, that there was like that one and a half minute tease that we saw last year that in, that ends with um, Barry Allen pulling the 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 cover off, presumably of the Michael Keaton Batmobile, and kind of geeking out. I feel like we've all seen that because we're all in this together. We're all a bunch of nerds who follow this stuff way too intently. But just re remind yourself, as I did, that nobody else saw that but us, okay? <laughs> Only the DC fans who sought that out and shared it with their friends ever saw that. For the rest of the world, Super Bowl Sunday was the first time they ever laid eyes on this movie. Um, so that I just I think that in and of itself is pretty crazy. But what a trailer. What a first impression to make. You know, they like they had to deliver and they had to deliver hard. And mind you, they did an abbreviated version. I think it's only about a minute, minute and a half. Uh you know, the the big game, you know, uh, trailer. But then it kind of, you know, implied that you should go to YouTube and see the full one, which is almost three minutes. I think it's like 248 or something like that and shows you a lot more. But as first looks go, the new Flash trailer, I think is pretty spectacular. It, it, it explains its premise in a way that is super easy to grab, especially in a world where multiverses are now becoming more commonplace. Marvel already kind of dabbled in that direction. You have a lot of fans in the general public now who are familiar with the idea of the multiverse and worlds colliding into one another and this and that alternate earths. So I thought the flash did an amazing job right away of really simply stating its case. That he's, you know, that Barry has traveled through different worlds and he's about to risk his life to protect this one particular world. And why is that? Because this is the one world he's found where his mother lives. And like that right there, like that's going to grab people, people who don't know the flash, people who don't know this story. They hear that and they go, "Ooh, that's that's emotional. That's interesting. I know this. Because I played it for my mom, who doesn't know anything about this stuff. And by the end of the trailer, she was like, she really wanted to see it. But back to the trailer itself. So it states its premise really well. I think the effects look really good, considering, you know, we've seen some trailers where the effects look a little wonky. And you're like, I hope they fix this before the movie comes out. You know, for me, just almost everything in the trailer looks great. There's a couple of scenes, you know, they got to clean up a little bit, a couple of shots. But I think it looks great. I think it sounds great. Seeing Michael Keaton back as Batman was amazing. Some of the iconic imagery we've already seen with him has me like, I cannot wait to see a full movie with him in it. Like, this is crazy. And then our first glimpse is a Supergirl, Sasha Calle, Calle, whatever. Um, you know, we find out that basically on this earth, there are no metahumans. He's the only metahuman. And this world is about to be invaded and attacked by Zod. All right. That's our plot here. Okay. Barry has found an earth where his mom lives. There's no metahumans and the Kryptonian invasion is incoming. Like that's a crazy premise. I could get into all of that, you know, and in this version of the story in, in this world, there is a captured Kryptonian seemingly on some floating lab in the middle of the ocean that I, that, that Bruce Wayne seems to know about. 
Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne seems to know about, and they break her out, and that is Kara. You know, that is our Supergirl. So in this story, she is the one metahuman on that world. Although it looks like we're going to end up with three, right? Because Barry showed up in this world, so he's one metahuman. It looks like he's going to turn the other Barry that he meets into another Flash by trying to recreate the accident that created him. And we're going to have Supergirl. So in this world, we have three metahumans and one old-ass Batman. And that's going to be what has to save the day. And I'm all for it. And mind you, there's stuff we haven't even seen yet, right? Because the trailer does a pretty good job of making it seem like the Zod thing is the big third act threat. But I don't think it is. I think they're keeping certain cards very close to the vest here. Because, uh, you know, some of the toys, I don't want to spoil anything, but some of the toys have revealed other characters and or villains who may be appearing in this. So there's definitely much more to the story, but just based on the story they presented, I am very, very intrigued. I like the tone of what I've seen so far. It looks intense and fun and interesting, and it has some levity, but it doesn't look like it's playing at all for laughs. It's not a comedy by any stretch. So... That Flash trailer to me. Oh, and then you know, I have to mention, we get to see Batfleck again. And he's in the gray and the blue. We see Ben Affleck not only as Bruce Wayne, but we see him as Batman driving a motorcycle that looks a lot like the Nolan motorcycle. And we see him just doing awesome grappling hook stuff. Like, oh. And honestly, like, that's what makes this whole thing kind of bittersweet for me because I love the trailer. I've gone back to see the trailer about 15 times now. And I don't typically do that. I don't, you know, I watch a trailer two or three times and I lock it in my head and I'm good now, but I've rewatched that trailer a whole bunch of times. And one of the reasons I keep going back is because how bittersweet it is because if this movie is as good as it looks, it proves that under new creative guidance, under different creative guidance, these characters, this continuity, this, you know, this DCEU experiment of the last 10 years, it could have lived on. Because if they were able to make a great Flash movie, 10 years after Man of Steel came out that gets people excited about the story, gets people invested in the characters, gets the critics to shower it with compliments and gets the box office support that it needs. Then that means that these characters, this continuity, this world wasn't dead yet. They could have done something from here, you know? And listen, I'm all on board with DC Studios and where we're going and the future. But whatever it was that Hamada was trying to set up to happen after The Flash, if The Flash is great, then we could have continued with these guys. Bat, you know, ben Affleck's Batman or that version of Batman could have continued to shine. I think Gal Gadot could continue to shine. I think all these heroes, especially remember, they were considering bringing back Henry Cavill and doing a Man of Steel too, because the Flash would have created an opening for that somehow. And it just, you know, to me, it's like, wow, 
if this thing hits big and shows that fans are all you know, are, are are still invested and willing to give this world a shot, then it makes it almost a little crazy that now we're just pivoting entirely into something new that has nothing to do with that anymore. You know, the fact that we seem to really be moving into a fairly hard reboot um, as we're getting a movie that proves that these characters still work. Um, you know, it's just, it makes it a bit of a tough pill to swallow, you know, but we shall see, we shall see if it's as good as it is, if it's as good as it looks, then we're going to have to just accept it as a really wonderful send off for that era of DC, you know, even though it looks like Aquaman is really going to be the final, you know, the final frontier, um, because mind you, by the way, you know, I, I we talked about it on the show a few episodes ago about Jason Momoa being super excited to you know, about something having to do with Aquaman or having to do with DC. And I was doing some research and that's when I discovered that he helped write Aquaman. Very similar to how Christopher Reeve helped write Superman 4. And what did Christopher Reeve want to do with Superman 4? He wanted to tell an allegorical story about saving the world and not from some big, scary alien threat, but from ourselves via nuclear war. And that's what Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, was about. You know, the whole thing was like a poem about world peace and doing away with nuclear power and seeing past our differences with one another and realizing that we're all just one and that we should be coexisting peacefully and working towards a, br a better and brighter future. And then the movie ended up, you know, it, there's lots of reasons that Superman 4 didn't end up being as good as it could have been. But unfortunately, it seems like comparisons for uh, Aquaman 2 are, 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 are uh, kind of ramping up. Because, yes, just like with Superman 4, you know, uh, Jason Momoa has had a hand in writing it. And just like with Superman 4, this is going to be a movie about saving the planet. But again, from ourselves, it it's going to have to do with pollution and climate change and, and humankind's destruction of Earth and us trying, you know, an, the Aquaman movie, trying to convince people to cut that shit out and save the planet and respect Mother Earth and not destroy her. Um, so, and mind you, there's even this picture that's floating around now that looks like there's a scene that takes place at the UN, which that sounds familiar, right? Superman gave a big speech in front of world leaders at Superman in Superman four. And it looks like in Aquaman two, he's, you know, you see him standing at a podium, delivering some address in front of a bunch of flags to a whole bunch of world leaders. So it looks like the comparisons to Superman 4 uh, are apt. And unfortunately also, you know, there's little rumors that the test screenings uh, hasn't gone so well. You know, apparently that there are some concerns that the film is not going to be quite up to up to par. And, uh, you know, they're still massaging the movie, filling in the new things that were added to the third act. I hear that they've made some major tweaks to the way the third act unfolds and to the way the villain is presented or the villains are presented. So as well as I'm sure they're also cutting off anything that sets up a part three. 
So I heard that the test screenings are not exactly going splendidly. Uh, but in their defense, I did hear that there's a lot of incomplete effects and a lot of stuff that's still very clearly half-baked. We're still, you know, especially at, when I heard this, when these rumors first started hitting, we were 10 months away from the arrival of Aquaman 2 still. 10 months is a lot of time to tweak and fix things. So I'm optimistically hoping that they are, they're able to figure it out and, and, and make the most of it. But some of the early buzz is that Aquaman 2 may as well be called Aquaman 2, the quest for peace. And ironically, ironically, what was Superman 4? It was the end of an era that ended up being the final Christopher Reeve movie, the final DC movie for a couple of years. And a couple of years after that one came out is when Batman came out and that did its four movies and that had its own end of an era with Batman and Robin in 1997. So there's lots of these little movies that have marked like the end of a particular chapter of DC on film and Superman four marked the end of the Reeve Superman era. And when it comes to Aquaman two, it's looking more and more likely that it marks the end of the DC EU as we know it. Um, but that's why I hope it ends good. I hope it's a good, strong finish. I really do. I don't want it to end on a, on a whimper. But, um, you know, speaking of a whimper, uh, Shazam 2 is almost coming. And unfortunately, I can't find the caring. I keep looking around. I don't know where I put it. Maybe it's in my other pants with my car keys. I should ask Jonathan Kent about that. But I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know what it is. And it's not for the reason that a lot of other people seem to have. A lot of people keep putting, oh, I, I don't, why should I care about Shazam? It's, you know, it's not connected to anything anymore. We're probably not going to get a part three. It just feels like why invest at all? Yada, yada, yada. I'm like, no, to me, that's all silly. You should still be able to enjoy a movie regardless of its sequel and spinoff possibilities. Because that's just a movie is meant to stand on its own. And if you go to a movie so you could be excited for what the next one's going to be, uh, there's a great invention called TV. That's what TV is for. You watch an episode and then you watch the next episode and you binge that. Okay. And you look forward to the next season when your season is up. That's how TV works. But movies are not meant to be that way. Movies are to be enjoyed for what they are. And if they fit into a grander picture, that's just cool. But if the movie isn't great on its own, then what the hell's it doing there? Ant-Man Quantumania. Um, so yes, Shazam is coming out and I feel nothing. And that's surprising to me because I love the first Shazam. You know, anyone who was listening to this show back in 2019 knows that. You know, I, I've always thought that that was one of the better DCEU movies. I really liked the premise for it. I thought it was an emotional, heartwarming story. I liked, you know, to me, it was a good table setter. And now I was looking forward to seeing what they do in a part two with a bigger budget, presumably setting up a confrontation with Black Adam and maybe getting Superman involved. Like, you know, I, I came out of Shazam 
sort of excited for where we were going next. But then I see this trailer where they, they're fighting these two. He's fighting these two women that aren't from the comics and a dragon. And uh, I don't know. I just I'm not it, it didn't hook me. The trailer didn't hook me. The TV spots I've seen thus far haven't hooked me. And for whatever reason, I just I can't seem to find it. I can't seem to find my caring for Shazam Fury of the Gods. I'm going to go see it. Because, listen, I support DC through and through. Whenever I see those memes about, you know, DC fans online and you see a packed theater and DC fans at the movies and it's like three people in the theater. You know, I know that there's a problem with attendance and DC fans don't tend to actually show up and support the brand. And listen, for good reason. The brand has been very uneven and running around like a chicken without a head for years now. So I get it. But that's not my style. For me, if I love the series, if I support the franchise, I'm going to show up. And I've seen every DC movie that's been in theaters over the last, I don't know, 35 years. <laughs> and uh, I'm not going to stop now. But also pushing me over the edge is my son. My son loved the first Shazam. And every time he sees a TV spot or a poster or anything for Shazam, he makes a comment about how he can't wait to see it. So I'm going to take my eight-year-old to see Shazam. And uh, it seems like it'll be a movie that'll be great for him. So, um, okay. I think that about does it on my Shazam. And uh, let's see. I have, I have a bunch of topics for you. I'm just trying to see what's worth your time. We're at an hour and 10 minutes. So, okay, I'm going to touch on the little thing because it was interesting. Uh, James Gunn kind of had to clap back at a fan who uh, called him a liar, called him a professional liar at that. And I only want to talk about this because I have seen uh, Gunn's detractors circulating some old tweets and old quotes of his kind of trying to paint him out as being dishonest and, and, and disloyal and a liar. And the two things in particular were there's an old tweet where he's asked if he would ever want to run DC. Um, and he said, basically, hell no, you know, he doesn't want to do what Kevin Feige does or what, you know, what any of these people who run, you know, these whole franchises, these whole series, he doesn't want that responsibility. And the other one is that he didn't want to make a Superman movie, that he wanted to do something. You know, he was offered to do it and he chose the Suicide Squad because he was more interested in kind of, you know, exploring that corner of the DC universe because that's always been kind of the stuff that's spoken to him. He loves that kind of underground, quirky kind of stuff, the kind of dark humor that you can get into in the Suicide Squad. But Gunn came out. And uh, let's see, do I have the quote here? Yeah. He says, neither of those things were lies. I was offered Superman, but did squad instead. A few years later, I saw how to tackle Superman and took it on. I didn't want to be the sole CEO of DC, but when they came and offered it to me and Peter, I said yes, because I could focus on the creative side. And honestly, I mean, I could have told you all of that just by reading the tea leaves, but that makes all the sense in the world. You know, it, it, 
no, we don't have this arrangement yet in any of these main franchises. You look at Marvel, you look at Star Wars, you know, a lot of it has like one central main person at the top of the food chain, right? Marvel has Kevin Feige. Star Wars has Kathleen Kennedy, even though she seems to be delegating a lot to John Favreau and Dave Filoni now. But this arrangement of we have two co-heads and one is the creative end and one is the business end. Uh, that is a game changer. If you're James Gunn and you really just want to be focusing on what are the stories we're going to tell? What are the characters we're going to present? How are we going to present them? What is the big overarching plan? Like he wants to focus on that stuff, not the nuts and bolts of running a film studio. Cause there's a lot more to it than just the fun stuff. You know, the, the, everything gun is into is the fun stuff. It's the creative stuff. The, 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 this is what you dream of doing when you're a filmmaker growing up. And when you're a kid growing up on comic books and cartoons, and you're dreaming about the stories you'd get to tell one day, you know, that's the stuff that gun wants to focus on. And it's perfect. Cause now he's got Saffron who could focus on all the other stuff. You know, honestly, I can relate to that. I've been in work situations where it's like, I'm an idea man. I'm a creative man. I belong in front of a, in front of people kind of telling a story or, or, or sharing something. I'm not someone who's good at like running a business and having rules and deadlines and, and I have to fill out paperwork and I have to like, I'm, that's never been me. That's never been my world. Just let me create and let somebody else take care of the serious work. And it sounds like Gunn was offered that and snatched it up. So earlier on when he was asked, you know, if he would want to run the studio, he said no, because the implication there is he would be fully in charge for everything. And that's not his bag, baby. But him with Saffron, that makes sense. And the thing with Superman is, you know, listen, at the time that they offered him that, too, that was in like 2020, where everything was still in a state of total limbo. And he probably didn't even know which Superman they would want to make. Maybe it just... He didn't at the time, but now with some time to think about it, and now as a creative type, figuring out the way to tell his story, now the stars aligned and he's doing it. That's not a lie. It's a change of heart. So people just have to, you know, uh, take long walks off short piers and uh, just grow up a little bit, please. Liar. Professional liar. Uh, anyway, so... A couple of things that came in from you all. I've already kind of addressed some. I asked on Twitter earlier today. I had asked if anyone had any any questions or or threads for me that they wanted topics they wanted me to tackle on the show. One of them had been about Ben Affleck and directing The Brave and the Bold. Uh, so I already touched on that. And one of the other things here that came in was about Metropolis. When it comes to Metropolis in Superman Legacy, do I think it'll be more of a character in the stories as opposed to just being just a generic backdrop, just a big city with skyscrapers for Superman to sort of fly around in? And yeah, I kind of would love that. I would love that, honestly. It'd be great if Metropolis felt like a place. Because honestly, I don't think we've had that yet. Because listen, in the Reeve movies, Metropolis definitely felt like a place and it had personality and we got to hear from civilians and pedestrians and they defended Superman and all that. But like it was basically New York City. 
You know, it had the Empire State Building in the first movie and the fourth, and you had the Statue of Liberty in the fourth, and you know, you have the honking yellow cabs, and it just it was it was New York, and they fought in Times Square, like you know, Richard Donner and the original Christopher Reeve movies in general made no bones about the fact that yes, we're just treating Metropolis like it is the same as New York. It's just DC's New York. And it wasn't really until Batman 89 where we saw a city that had personality, right? Tim Burton gave us a Gotham that felt like something. It had a mood. It had a vibe. It had a look. There was something distinct. It, it added its own sort of aura to the story. But after, you know, what came after the Reeve movies, the next Superman metropolis that we got to see in the big on the big screen was Superman returns in 2006. And that was a very pretty looking city. There was a lot of interesting architect. I know that guy Hendricks Dias, you know, kind of designed a lot of like art deco and it had, he wanted to give it kind of like a timeless look. And, you know, it wasn't just straight up New York city. It kind of merged ideas from multiple cities. It was kind of New York. It was kind of Sydney, Australia. It was kind of like various places merged into one mega city. But again, we didn't really feel much of a personality for Metropolis. We didn't really, you know, th that movie spent so much time on Superman and his drama with Lois and Richard that we didn't really get to see him interact with the people of Metropolis too much or to get a sense for what Metropolis was like on the ground level. It was really just a nice looking kind of retro designed city. But there really wasn't much to it. And then in Man of Steel, I mean, we barely got to see it aside from the craters that were created in it during the invasion of Krypton. And in general, the personality of the city, you know, it, it didn't really factor in too much in Man of Steel. And in Batman versus Superman, again, it could have been Chicago. It could have been anywhere. You know, it, there wasn't a huge you know, difference between Metropolis and any other setting that we saw in Batman versus Superman. And then in both versions of Justice League, again, it's just a city and there's the Superman Memorial Park in the middle of it, but it could be any city, anywhere, at any time. So I don't think we've ever had a Metropolis on the big screen that has a particular vibe and a particular energy to it and is essentially almost like another character in the story. So for Superman Legacy, I think it would be pretty cool. I think it would be pretty damn cool if James Gunn finds a way to give Metropolis some real flair and some real personality. You really kind of give the context of the story something interesting by setting it in a place that itself is interesting, you know? Um, but then again, you know, we haven't really seen that in a while, right? Like, if we look at the world James Gunn comes from, some of his, his recent films uh none of the settings really matter that much in guardians of the galaxy aside from you know, when he goes to visit ego and he's on the planet you know that planet ego has a very distinct feel but that's because it kind of had to be that was yeah you know, the whole point of that was like you know we're on my father but anyway um so yeah you know i don't know that we've seen an example of the setting of the story factoring in very huge outside of another dc movie in matt reeves the batman there once again gotham feels there's a vibe right and matt reeves the batman there's there, there's a 
there's a look and a feel to it. It kind of drapes over everything that happens. So the city is very much sort of vital and alive and part of the story. So once again, we keep getting epic Gothams, but we have yet to get a metropolis that really stands out as being like, oh yeah, this makes sense for why this city would be Superman's home base. Out of all the places he could have gone to, to operate out of, it makes sense that Metropolis is like the center of the world for him, you know? So, um, yes. And then the, the last things, last things that came in that I'm, I'm going to be able to tackle on the show today is, uh, well, Brett, Brett, my wonderful co-host, uh, I'm going to miss you. Congratulations on becoming a father. That's coming up tomorrow. I don't know if you're going to hear this the day it comes out. You're probably a little preoccupied. But you actually did answer on my tweet about all this, about questions and topics for the show. So I feel like since you're not here, I do owe it to you to address your questions. So uh, the first one was about advice for fatherhood. Since I do have not one, not two, but three kids, including a 10 and a half month old upstairs right now. Um, Listen, my advice is simple. Just try to enjoy it. Be present. Be in the moment. And bigger picture, if there's things about you, if there's things about your upbringing, if there's patterns and habits that, that have happened in your life that you don't want to see continue onward into your child, make it your priority to break the patterns. Say that anything bad that happened in my line leading up to me, it ends with me. This child is not going to continue on my cycles and on the things that, you know, they're not going to inherit my flaws and I'm not going to repeat for them the things that harmed me. So to me as a father, it's always been very clarifying to like catch myself and to be very, very clear and very, very deliberate about the things I want to pass on, as well as the things I want to completely obliterate and not put in their, uh, you know, not download into their delicate little hard drives ever. So, um, but yes, be in the moment, be present, because everyone will tell you this, but it will fly. And that is one of the reasons we had the third kid, because we have an 11-year-old daughter and an 8-year-old son. And we're like, where did the time go? You know, we, my wife and I love being parents. It's one of the most rewarding things in our lives. It's been great raising this wonderful girl and this wonderful boy. And we're like, we want to do it again. So that's why we have this huge gap, 11, eight and 10 months. But partially that was, in, that, that was, um, that was informed by a feeling of it really flies, man. It's going to, you're going to blink and she's going to be crawling and you're going to blink and she's going to be walking and you're going to blink and she's going to be going to school. You know, it's, it's, it's true what they say, but also it's not true what they say. Oh, you're never going to sleep again. Oh, say goodbye to sleep. Everyone loves to say that crap. And it's like, no, that by default, that's not automatic. So hopefully you'll get lucky. Both of my daughters slept through the night within two weeks of arrival on earth. Okay. The key is keep things calm around them. All right. They, they can read your energy. They can feel your vibes. If you're stressed out and frantic and upset and frustrated, 
you're going to have an upset baby. If you're calm and peace and love and patience, and you understand the assignment here, then your baby's going to be a pretty chill baby and they're probably going to sleep. So the other one though, this was a DC one. Uh, you asked about casting for the lantern since that is your favorite DCU project. And Brett, I've got nothing for you. I'm sorry. I gave it thought. And honestly, like this is where it comes into a problem that we spoke about two weeks ago or two episodes ago, I should say, where I was talking about the fact that I really don't see movies anymore. I really need to change that in 2023 and I plan on it. I'm going to go see Creed three uh, as soon as that comes out. And I'm trying to see some non superhero movies. I want to get back to watching movies where the, the star of the movie is the writing and the acting and the directing, not the way it teases the next big event film that's coming out. You know, I need to go see real movies so I could get to know some real actors and actually have some put on all of these casting ideas floating around because with all the dcu stuff whether it's the superman stuff or batman or anything you know people ask you know for who would you cast and i see people making all these different suggestions and listen i'm firmly still on the wolfgang novogratz uh train here for 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 young clark but um yeah i really don't like it's it's gotten so bad that since i really only watch like superheroes and comic book movies, every actor I think of is already in a comic book movie or a superhero thing. So it's like, I'm just going to suggest a different comic book character for them to play. Like that's pretty lame. So uh, I'm sorry to let you down, Brett, but I just need to see more movies. I do not have a Hal Jordan right on the tip of my tongue. I do not have a John Stewart right on the tip of my tongue and anything i would give you it will just be some stereotypical played out answer someone who gets casted for everything you know oh michael b jordan for john stewart you know or, or uh you know i'm i'm no i'm not gonna go there i'm gonna give it some thoughts i'm gonna see some real movies and i'm gonna i'm gonna hit you guys all up with some casting picks and choices and fan casts because uh unfortunately I don't see enough movies to know who's acting anymore. Anyway, so uh, that about does it. That does it for episode 177 of the Fanboy Podcast. I hope you had a good time with me and just me alone. If you'd like to send a question or topic and you're not on the Twitter, please email it to thefanboypodcast at gmail.com. Especially in the weeks ahead where I'm not going to have a co-host, I'm going to be a little hungry for questions and, and, and topics. So by all means, keep them coming. I'm going to try to not fall off the face of the earth after this. I'm going to try to commit to being back every Friday again on my own, holding down the fort until Brett can return. But until next time, be kind and stay fanboy. Adios. <laughs>